following program was made possible by Ward's lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Welcome to the program. My name is Denny Grignell. Hey, some good news. Lindsay's downtown new sidewalks are not slowly crumbling anymore. These bricks were manufactured during a pandemic. It sits in the back of the line. Would we have this concern if we weren't in a pandemic and if labor and supply uh, were normal? The city's director of engineering, Juan Rojas, will tell us the story of the downtown sidewalk bricks, the original crumbling ones, and the new ones that don't crumble. The library's Lindsay Heffernan will be here with a new word inspired by something a number of local noteworthy residents recently announced their retirement. Hey, did you know employers of a certain size can monitor their employees each and every move, kinda? Yep. But now there are laws around that, which Calvin Chan of Ward's Lawyers will explain. And we've got a song from a man performing a house concert in a cool Rayborough former church November 4. All that and more in episode 66 of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. Last June, a place called Home realized its goal of building a new and improved facility with more housing for the city's homeless, all of it adhering to the safety protocols we've had to adapt to these past few years. But achieving that goal, of course, comes with a price, literally. APCH's Support the Build campaign put a huge dent in its mortgage. And very recently, the shelter was able to put an even bigger dent in it thanks to a donation that it was not expecting, or at least it wasn't expecting the amount of the donation that it turned out to be. It came from the former Victoria County Disaster Trust Fund, which recently ceased operation. Jennifer Lipinski is the Fund Development Coordinator with APCH. She joins me now. Hi, Jennifer. Hello, how are you? I'm well, how are you? Wonderful, just wonderful. Well, Thank you for inviting us here. Well, I'm sure you're more wonderful because of the donation you got. But before we get to that, I, can I ask you how big the mortgage was for the APCH after the new build? Well, the entire project was $5 million. And um, with a number of different uh, ways, including the generosity of our community, um, we've been able to pay down uh, the majority of those costs through our fundraising campaigns. And so we're looking, you know, we have about a little over a couple hundred thousand dollars left. Okay. How, what would the plan normally be to whittle down that remaining approximate $200,000? Many, many fundraising events, because that's a very large sum of money. Like a place called home normally has to fundraise $150,000 a year just to keep our uh, operations running smoothly. So I would imagine that that amount of money would take us two or more years to raise. So you have yes. you have two hundred thousand dollars approximately to raise on top of your regular uh, fundraising efforts. So that that yeah, you're looking at I that's guess, correct. Quick math here would suggest that's about three hundred fifty thousand dollars or so. So tell me about your meeting with the members from the Victoria Trust Fund. Were you expecting any kind of a donation when they approached you, or initially in our initial discussions, no. But when they decided that they wanted to have a formal meeting, I thought, oh my goodness, there must be more to this, this discussion than meets the eye. Really was literally floored to uh, be told that we were gonna be receiving a very special donation of an excess of over $100,000. So that cuts, that cuts your mortgage 
by about half. It does. It's just the most unbelievable gift. And for many, many years, our organizations have worked together to support residents in crisis in the instance of a fire or other disaster or, or, you know, really bad situation. Years ago, both agencies entered into agreement where a place called home would uh, serve as dis- dispatcher to those those crisis calls. Some work that a place called home previous executive director, Lori Polito and Sharon McRae from Victoria County Trust Disaster, they formulated together and they built this incredible working relationship to help people in crisis. So when they approached a place called home, because you had that working relationship with them already, was there part of you thinking, oh, okay, I guess they just are hoping that we can pick up the slack that they are no longer capable of doing? That did come across my, my mind, absolutely. But once our, uh, our meeting was underway, it was pretty clear that that was not what they were thinking. Um, they were thinking of helping a place called home clear our mortgage which is a burden on our organization. Describe that meeting to me, because it sounds like it was an in-person meeting. They actually came in to, to the facility where you are. Yes. And they're across the table from you, and you're expecting, yes. okay, what's this all about? And then they they ostensibly hand over this check. Well, how, how did you react to that? I almost started to cry, honestly. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, because again, you know, a, a, an agency to receive such a huge, huge donation is is very uncommon. They are sharing some stories about the past, and then they led up to you know our past uh, collaborations with you know supporting people in crisis, and then you know when they indicated they would have some extra money to to give, and that they thought that there was no other agency that they could think of other than to give to a place called home, and it was just just the most unbelievable. Uh, gift. It's the relationship that's done a 360. You know, we've we've worked together, and and although they're they're moving, you know, they're they're disbanding, but still they're making sure that all those people that work so hard for their cause, they're making sure that that donation keeps on giving through a place called home because a place called home helps exactly the same people, everyone that's in crisis that doesn't have a place to stay. It was a glorious, glorious moment. Really and truly. I can tell just by the uh, the reaction on your on your face right now and you're getting <laughs> choked up. Were there any conditions attached to the donation of any kind? No, no, other than they would like to see the funds spent on our any existing mortgages, you know, as any costs related to the new build. So what does this mean for a place called home then going forward now that you can you have this this six digit donation? Well, actually, this is just the beginning of their gift. At the end of the month, on the 28th, at a place called home, um, there's going to be a uh, check recognition event. That event is going to kick off a new fundraising campaign to hopefully pay the rest of the mortgage off. And that campaign will be called Match the Trust. You know, champion together one more time to raise enough money to clear you know, all the expenses of the new build for us. And it's certainly a more um, attainable goal when it's 100,000 plus change versus 200,000 plus change. Exactly. It's almost like a legacy gift. You know, the funds are still gonna work through a place called home to still help people in crisis. I'm Jennifer Lopinski, Fund Development Coordinator with A Place Called Home. I live in Kawartha Lakes and you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. 
The Advocate Podcast is made possible because of the good people at Ward's Lawyers, our exclusive sponsor. Go to wardlegal.ca to learn how Carissa Ward and her team can meet any and all of your legal needs. We are 100% local media and part of the Advocate magazine, whose November issue is now available throughout Kawartha Lakes. In it, you'll find a feature story on a former Lindsay resident, veteran Leonard Green, who was honored with a banner that notes his legacy. Consider subscribing to our show on your favorite streaming platform and rating us. That will help other people find the show and ensure our continued growth. With a newly elected city council here in Kawartha Lakes, we will see many new faces when there is that turnover. But we're also seeing many people who have stepped down, essentially retiring from their jobs, including that of mayor. We spoke to Andy Letham about his departure in that role in our last episode and the episode before that. We spoke with Penny Barton-Dyke, who is officially leaving her position as executive director of the United Way. So, yeah, lots of retirements. Hmm. I wonder if there's a word that evokes retirement, maybe something that conjures up the kind of images that you think of when you think of retirement, something, some kind of word that is well-defined, well-defined, well-defined. What does that mean anyway? Well-defined. According to the dictionary. Lindsay Heffernan is a library specialist, outreach and community engagement at Kawartha Lakes Public Library. She's going to provide us with a word kind of tied to that whole retirement next transition kind of thing. I'm here with her now at the branch on Kent Street. Hey, Lindsay. Hi, Denny. How is it going? It, I'm, it's going quite well. Please tell me that you're not retiring anytime soon, are you? Because we need you for these segments. They're popular with many of our listeners. Uh, I wish, and the word I'm going to use to describe retirement would definitely describe how I would feel, but not yet. I've got a few more years to go. Well, and, I, and, and before you get to that actual word, I want to hear what's happening in library news, which uh, I know is never in short supply now. There are rumblings of a new branch in, uh, in an area that I frequently visit. Can you fill in that blank there? Absolutely, yes. So as you may know, we do have 14 library branches. Our Bob Cajun branch is moving shortly. Um, Our new address will be 123 East Street South, um, which is at the corner of the light sorted by the Independent there. Um, Have a much larger collection and a lot more room for programming. So we're really looking forward to that. What kind of things will you be able to do there that maybe you're not able to do in that location where you are now at the close to the Boyd Museum? Just any large uh, programs, the space that we currently are in um, doesn't allow for us to do a lot of story times or kids programs or even host meetings for the community. So we're looking forward to having those available at the new branch. I'm looking forward to that as well. Now, is there a projected date or given the times that we're living in, is it even wise to to have a, a grand opening day scheduled? All I can say is it'll be very soon. Definitely by the end of 2022, we're hoping sometime in November if all goes well. Okay, well, that gives us something to look forward to. All right, so what well-defined word did you come up with surrounding something that's top of mind for many of us as our mayor is stepping down and councillors are stepping down and so on? What do you have for us? Uh, Well, some people when they retire might feel a little bit sad or, you know, not ready to retire. Um, If it were me, I would be feeling simply ebullient. Ebullient, yes. So I would be feeling very cheerful, energetic, happy, and I'm sure that some of these uh, feelings are going through these people that are retiring in the next uh, few months or so. As they move on to the next stage of their life. Exactly. Who knows if that's golfing or traveling? I don't know, but that's something to look forward to for me and you, I think, Denis. Okay, well, Penny Barton-Dyke and Andy Letham, here's to you having some ebullient moments. You got it. You know, I cannot ever remember starting a segment or an interview on our program in the two and a half years since we launched. 
with an introduction that included this expression. Wait, what? Well, it's finally happened, as you'll hear in our regular feature. Words of wisdom. Words of wisdom. More than just words of wisdom. It's, it's been some time since I've worked in an environment with 25 or more employees, but I recognize many, many people do. So it was understandable why, when many of us not in that group read that there are new laws in place for employers to disclose how they monitor and track the actions of their employees while on the job, it's understandable that, that myself and people in that group, we went, wait, what? I didn't know any employer was even allowed to do that, period. But employers can legally, they just now have to follow certain rules and regulations when keeping an eye and ear on the staffs of 25 or more employees. Here to explain all this is Calvin Chan, a lawyer with Ward's Lawyers. I'm here with them at the Ward's offices on Ken Street in Lindsay. Hi, Calvin. Hi, Denis. How are you doing? Hey, I got to know, are there 25 employees here in the offices? There are 25 employees. And okay. a policy was just recently implemented, all in time for the provincially set guidelines or deadline uh, on October 11th. Okay, well, you had a handle on this. You knew it was coming. But before we get into those new laws on the employers monitoring the employee, can, can we go back a bit? I'm just curious, what kind of monitoring are we talking about here? Cameras, uh, shared computer screens, records of phone calls? What, what kind of monitoring? That's a good question. And one that certainly has evolved over time. It's it's a question that wouldn't have even been discussed in the 90s or the 80s. Well, now we have the technology, the and software and so on. Yeah, certainly have the technology to do it. And it's a concern for employers because um, what their employees are doing is important. That's that's always been a that in particular has always been a concern. You know, it's been a concern for even in the 1950s for sure. <laughs> whether or not you are intoxicated at work or uh, perhaps intoxicated at a work meeting or after hours work meeting things like that these things are always have always been a concern but now technology has changed that and it's changed the scope of what an employer can really look after and the Ontario government has decided that that's something that should be open and transparent rather than you know clothed in secrecy nowadays um, people are communicating by phone, by email, and uh, certainly mo not my boss and most bosses aren't able to monitor every email that gets sent out. The employer can monitor anything that they own. And what they own would be their email addresses, any devices that are owned by the, the company or the employer. Like a cell phone. Like a on. cell phone or, or their own computer or their work laptop. And what may get missed by some employees is when you're on work and when you're off work. If you bring your work laptop home, can your employer continue to monitor that? The answer is yes. That's the, the employer's work laptop and whatever goes on there, it can be monitored if the employer so chooses. And that now has to be disclosed in this policy that we're going to talk about. If we look at one more mode of monitoring, I... The and there, there are more, yes. I'm sure. Well, I'm thinking of the company car. I'm thinking for people out there listening yep. going, okay, do they know where I'm going with the vehicle? Did they know I took that side trip into lunch 50 kilometers away from my, works, my workplace? GPS can be installed very easily to make sure that the employee's not taking a little side trip down to London, Ontario when they shouldn't be to, to visit a friend or something. Has a lot of this come to the fore in the last few years, Calvin, because people are working remotely now, they are working from home? That's a great point, and the answer is yes, undoubtedly. Uh, the work from home phenomenon has, uh, it's grown, it's shrunk maybe a little bit, but it's there, and I think it, it will be there indefinitely. Yes, they can see your emails to make sure that those emails are being sent, that they're being sent 
during work hours. Likewise, that workplace devices are being used for work purposes. And there's certainly a concern amongst workers and worker advocates that, hey, we don't, is this, this, this isn't okay. We should know or employees should know that this is going on and that there should be some sort of clear guideline as to where is the workplace, when am I at work, and what, under what circumstances may I be monitored as if I was, you know, in the 1950s sitting in the office and, and my conduct was being monitored. And there's so, a, there isn't a contradiction there almost with people who are at home in their, you know, the sweatpants, the pajamas, the kids and the dogs running by, and, and it's easy to think you're not going to be monitored because you are not physically yeah. in the workplace. Yeah, it's easy. I think it was a bit natural for employees to adapt to that and maybe relax into certain patterns. But it was also reasonable for employers to take certain steps to make sure, hey, you're, you're not uh, just <laughs> sitting in your pajamas at 2 p.m. when emails need to be sent out and work needs to be done. The flip side to that is if the employers are going to do that and something needs to be put in writing, something should be formalized. And that's, that's what the Ontario government has done. The policies have to indicate exactly what kind of practice is being used. So a policy that says, listen, we're monitoring you electronically, period. One sentence. That's not going to cut it. Oh, it should lay out exactly what kind of practices. So a lot of them we've laid out already. Monitoring work emails, monitoring your workplace devices, monitoring website or app usage, monitoring location based on GPS, vehicle GPS. And I will note that all of these things would be the employer's devices. Glaring question may be, well, can the employer monitor me on my own device? And the answer to that is it depends, okay. but it is largely no. Certainly if I'm on my phone at work on my own phone, that's not being monitored because my, my employer doesn't have access to that phone. So this is where all our listeners are hitting pause right now, Calvin, and they're running out to buy another phone that they can take with at work and use that one for all the private notes. Let me toss this one out. How about you're using the company equipment outside of working hours? There's no limitation required in any of these policies on working on only being monitored during working hours. Working hours have evolved with the work from home phenomenon. So there's no requirement that the Ontario government has put that says, you know, work emails can only be monitored nine to five, uh, unless they unless they decide to put in their policy very firmly. And that's up to each individual employer. Specifically, we're only monitoring between these times, but there's no obligation on an employer to, to limit their monitoring to that. Calvin Chan is a lawyer with Ward's Lawyers, our show's official sponsor. You can reach Calvin by going to wardlegal.ca. We'll bring you part two of my conversation with Calvin, which will examine what employers of 25 or more staff can legally do with the information they've gathered from monitoring that staff. My name's Melissa Weems and I live in Omimi. I gravitated to the city of Core Lakes having grown up in a small town myself. I love that I go into shops and deal with people I know, see clients on the streets. It's just a small town feel that I'm used to that I'm happy to be able to live in again. It's just a totally different environment. People in big cities are great too, but um, I just love the small town feel. It's what I wanted for my family growing up and happy to have been able to find that in the city of Core Lakes. My name's Melissa Weems at Ward's Lawyers, and this is the Advocate Podcast.
Hey, here's a feature we launched way back in the early days of the show, before the world went, well, you know. I think it only appeared once, in fact. But now that we are slowly, cautiously, carefully easing back to the familiar, we're bringing it back. It's called... Stuff Happening in Kawartha Lakes. Stuff Happening in Kawartha Lakes. Stuff Happening in And here's a couple of stuff to look forward to in the coming weeks. The Quirky Quilters meet every Thursday at 1 p.m. in the Fenland branch of the Public Library. Or maybe you're more of a nifty knitter. If so, find other nifty knitters at the same location on Mondays at 10 a.m. A special Remembrance Day ceremony takes place at the Lindsay Legion November 11 at 8.30 a.m. And here's Pam Putman about another item you may want to put in your calendar. Seroptimus International is a worldwide organization whose emphasis is what is best for women. The objective is to fundraise to provide programs through which women and young girls can reach their full potential and gain additional education to better their own lives. After three years, because of the pandemic, of course, we are hosting an event that traditionally for the past eight years has been called the Snowflake Gala, where we fundraise in order to provide the programs that are part of our mission. But this year, being the first year back, we decided to uh, change it a little bit and call it Together Again. A lovely dinner, a lovely evening, and we'll have a little bit of fun because we're going to have a loony auction with a professional auctioneer on board Thursday, November the 3rd. It starts at 6 p.m. The cost of the event is $65, which includes a lovely catered meal by Charmin's Whole Foods and potential of winning a lovely door prize. It will take place at Celebrations, which is the old Queen Street Church. For more information and tickets to this event, November 3rd at Celebrations, call 705-928-4333. This is really cool. A former church in Rayboro has been transformed into the home of Pat Temple and Elaine Windsor, but it's also a cool and cozy house concert venue. With a show this Friday, November 4, tickets are only 30 bucks each, but act fast because the venue only holds about 60 people. It's a house concert, remember? I'll give you the deets on tickets right after we feature some music by the Roots singer-guitarist who is that concert. From his album Boxcar Campfire, this is Paul Piggott with a song called The Game. Gotta run with the crowd, don't you? Laugh out loud. No matter how you spin it, it's always the same. You gotta show them that wicked grin, don't let them know just where you've been, cause that's what you gotta do if you wanna play the game. Flash them a smile, shoot them a wink, never let them know just what you're thinking. Always take the credit, never the blame. You gotta roll with the punches. Think quick and play all your hunches Cause that's what you gotta do If you wanna play the game Cause it's just one roll of the dice So don't you think twice Cause second chances rarely come around No, it ain't nothing new It's just what you gotta do To keep your head in the clouds And your feet back down on the ground So grit your teeth and bear it You might have a frown But don't you wear it if you don't understand, let me explain. You gotta roll with the punches. 
think quick and play all your hunches Cause that's what you gotta do if you wanna play the game Just one roll of the dice, so don't you think twice, cause second chances rarely come around. No, it ain't nothing new, it's just what you gotta do to keep your head in the clouds and your feet back down on the ground, so grit your teeth and bury Music from Paul Piggott, a song called The Game from his CD, Boxcar Campfire. Paul Piggott performs an intimate house concert in Rayboro Friday, November 4, which you can take in, but tickets are limited, so you, you better act fast. And you get your tickets by emailing Elaine Windsor at elainewindsor at gmail.com. That's E-L-A-Y-N-E-W-I-N-D-S-O-R at gmail.com. If you've walked along Kent Street and Lindsay lately, where I am right now, just near the public library, you've likely looked down to notice the nicely laid, attractive stonework that now makes up sidewalks on both sides of the street. Not just Kent Street, in fact, but many of the adjoining streets also now feature these sidewalks. Or perhaps you're not compelled to look down anymore, as you might have been weeks ago when one was kind of wary that a crumbling stone might make you lose your footing. Yes, crews have been working tirelessly. In fact, you can hear them in the background now. They've been working tirelessly to replace those original defective stones, which brings us to now. Solid and really quite lovely sidewalks. To explain the story of the sidewalk stones, I am here now with Juan Rojas. He is the Director of Engineering and Corporate Assets. Juan, thanks so much for, for meeting me here. Thanks for inviting me. Let's go back to the beginning here, to that original uh, contract to install the sidewalk stones. How was that contract awarded? So all our contracts are open uh, bids. Uh, so they're published in our website uh, and on a purchasing website as well through our procurement department. Uh, and we solicit bids from any qualified contractors. So the work uh, for the brick, the road, the sewers were all in one contract. So it's the same people that were doing, they were doing the stones that we're standing on right now and they were also doing this, uh, the, this, uh, the sewer work. It's the same general contractor. Uh, obviously they have subcontractors underneath them, but it was the same general contractor. However, we broke up the downtown in four phases. So we had, uh, it's been, it's for the last four years, we put out a contract for different sections of the downtown that uh, consist of road work, sewer work, brick work, landscape work, all that. This falls under brick work or landscape work, what we're standing on right now? Correct. Okay, so when did you realize that there was a problem that the stones were not going to make it for the long haul, that they had to be replaced? It was earlier uh, this year, right after uh, the winter or in transition between winter and spring, we noticed that some of the bricks that were only a year to two years old uh, were flaking away. The color of the brick is very unique. So before we started construction at all in the downtown, we had an extensive consultation period uh, for design, for streetscape, for layout, all the beautiful things you see within the boulevard that involved multiple city departments, uh, economic development, and the BIA. 
So we had a lot of discussion uh, on the color and type of brick uh, with the BIA. Uh, and they chose a unique brick, that's the first one we laid, called it Lindsay Heritage, but it was a unique uh, color specifically to Lindsay. It was a first order. So we know. would not see these stones anywhere else in, in, in Eastern Ontario, for instance, if I go to Port Hope or Coburg or Kingston, I'm not gonna see this actual color? Co the original one. Correct. Okay. So the, that's how they, the original brick was chosen. It was a unique style for Lindsay. Uh, and the way it was explained to me by Unilock is they can make basically any color of brick they want. They just have to choose the right uh, mix design. So the aggregate in the stone brings out the color and they play around with the ratios to get that unique blend. We ordered it. Uh, it was selected through a collaborative uh, process and it was the first time, let's say, it was manufactured. Uh, and so that's what sort of led to some of the challenges we had. Are you uh, saying that that color specifically, or the pigment or whatever that was in it, that's what led to the crumbling? Not necessarily the pigment, but the absorption rate of the stone. This is how Unilock, and Unilock is excellent. So once we discovered that the, it was crumbling or prematuring uh, failure on the brick, we voiced our concern to Unilock they came out here, took samples, did a multitude of tests. There was one uh, category which was questionable, and that was the absorption rate of water. So it was, I'm not saying it was um, out of spec, but it was higher than normal. Are they saying they put up a bit of resistance to, to, to the crumbling? Because like, you can see it right in front yes. of you. So what was their reaction when they saw that? How, how, did, how could they contest that? They, had, they couldn't contest it. They had the same thought we had. It's premature. They've never seen anything like it. And if you, you go onto Unilock's website, they do a large volume of square footage of brick throughout Canada. Uh, so this was a, a series of brick that's supposed to be for commercial use, for public use in downtowns, and they never seen it fail like this before. So when they did the test, it's, it's basically a, an accelerated freeze-thaw test, where they freeze and thaw the brick like 80 times over a short cycle to see how it performs. This was afterwards, and what they discovered was the absorption rate on the top layer of the brick was a little bit on the high side. It's a, a theory that it was retaining too much moisture and then popping the tops of the brick. Was there not a part of you though that thought, why weren't you doing this test before you laid them out as opposed to after the fact? So in fairness to Unilock, I don't want to speak to them. They do have a quality control person on site. Uh, and again, I'm being told that it all met spec. Uh, but regardless of that, Unilock is excellent. They said, we recognize it. We're going to switch it out. What do you want us to do? So that's how we came up with the, the second color. So the second color is a little bit more redder. We changed gears a second time. How so? So we said, instead of the city or the BIA picking a unique specific brick to Lindsay, I want Unilock to give me tried and tested colors of red. Give me a brick that you've had in downtowns for 20 years with no issues. So then they gave me four or five different colors and we wanted in the red family, let's call it, because that's, uh, that's what the BIA wanted, that sort of color palette. So they provided us with uh, you know four or five different types of red that were tried, tested, and proven. We then presented those reds to the BIA and they picked this particular one. Between the old red and the new red, the, the new red is a little bit more vibrant or a little bit more redder. Uh, 
keep in mind that the, the old brick has been in place for two years, so there's been some weathering. Uh, so the, the newer brick will fade slightly, uh, but you won't notice a difference whatsoever. Uh, and all the brick on the Main Street, Kent, uh, Lindsay, William, and um, Cambridge, are going to be replaced anyways. I don't think anybody would contest the difference in the color. I, I, I doubt there's anybody who's going to be protesting here going, no, we want the original red color. So let's go back to the cost. I know that you said that Unilock is a great company and they're, they're owning up to it and they're going to replace the, uh, the bricks. The popular question is, okay, they're replacing the cost of the bricks. Who's paying for the actual replacement? Those gentlemen, those, the, the, those crews back there, was there any more cost incurred in any of this? There was no cost incurred. So Unilock is paying for both the material cost of the brick uh, and the labor to install them. It sounds like you've learned an awful lot in this and you were throwing a lot of curves that nobody would have expected. So what, what safeguards do you have in place should you want to take this kind of program to other communities in Kawartha Lakes, other than maybe not going with that red? Yes. Well, again, lessons learned. Uh, there's a few of them. So this is one of the first projects. So I've been with Kawartha Lakes for 12 years. Uh, the downtown Kent and Lindsay project were, I think, the only ones we've done over the winter. Uh, so there's a reason why we don't do construction in the winter. <laughs> uh, also, it's the only project I've done during a major uh, national pandemic or worldwide pandemic. So try to avoid that. To me, I would, I would always go tried and tested products. Uh, I don't mind using unique products if it's a short stretch or not a high profile project, but always go with the tried and tested uh, products. My thanks to Juan Rojas, Director of Engineering with the City of Kawartha Lakes. Thanks going out as well to our official and exclusive show sponsor for each and every one of our episodes, Ward's Lawyers. No matter your legal need, the team at Ward's, they can meet them. Reach out to them at wardlegal.ca. Reach out to us via our Facebook page and Twitter. Yeah, Twitter, because Elon, he really needs your support, doesn't he? Gerald Van Halteren is the talented fella behind our theme and musical Bridges. I'm the fella who writes and produces and hosts the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Fourth Lakes. My name is Denny Grignot. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Get boosted. We're back in two weeks. I think the new product looks fantastic and it's uh, some minor inconvenience to our residents in the downtown, fair enough, but from a cost point of view, no issues. I think I can editorialize here too. I mean, it does look good. So yeah, congratulations on the work. Thank you very much.